In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Steven, I got to know, would you have caught that pass from Kyler Murray? Would you have the hops to go up and get that? Well, I would have I would have shaken the the cornerback so bad that I would have been wide open. You would have you would have won at the line of scrimmage is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, uh, yeah. No, I wouldn't even have had to win at the line of scrimmage. I would have just burned the cornerbacks who were play, like giving me cushion. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyone who has seen me run knows that is like not even possible. I probably wouldn't even have gotten to the end zone by the time the ball got there. <laughs> still be, I would still be uh, behind the line of scrimmage, just wondering what uh, what I'm doing. Uh, so you know, although if Cliff Kingsbury could scheme up those his great formations for me, then maybe I would have. Yeah, we are talking, of course, about the uh, DeAndre Hopkins catch at the end of the. Cardinals Bills game, the most exciting game from week 10. We will uh, dig in on that game and what it tells us about the suddenly real Cardinals. I, they're real, right? Cardinals, Cardinals are a real football team. They're like a, a uh, real threat, maybe. Are they? I don't know. Oh. Maybe we'll discuss on the counter. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, this is the counter. Welcome. I'm Chris Corman. He's Steven Ruiz. We work for For the Win. We cover football. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, week 10, you know, Stephen wrote in the take dump this morning, which is his Monday uh, Monday feature that sort of runs through his big observations from the weekend. He wrote that there was really only one exciting game, uh, and it was that Cardinals-Bills game. And a couple others taught us some things. We will dig in on those. You know, we're, we're at that point in the season where, I don't know, we're probably about 58 percent done or something like that with the year and uh wow math boy over here <laughs> have some have some sense of uh yeah i just made it up uh have some sense of what's going on and and uh, you know we're getting to the point where we're sort of like whittling down and, and nitpicking uh right you know, whether whether the uh steelers offense can actually elevate enough to get there whether the bucks are going to be uh, good enough on offense with what they're doing. Uh, you know, we're going to have to talk about the Saints with Drew Brees injured. He apparently hurt uh, his ribs and could not play in the second half. We're awaiting word of an MRI. Uh, so we're at that point in the year where it's just sort of like trying to figure out what's going on. We're going to talk about the Dolphins, who I am probably the hottest team in the NFL. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I think they've won five in a row. They might. Well, the Steelers technically are, but I don't know if you can consider them hot. Yeah, they're just they just crew. barely beat uh, Garrett Garrett Gilbert <laughs> two weeks ago. But then they beat Joe Burrow convincingly. Yeah, but it was in the win, so even that doesn't you, count. Even you would say Joe Burrow is better than Garrett Gilbert. I think this is true. Yeah. He does not have a better arm than Garrett Gilbert, though. I could say that wow. confidently, and it, I can say that confidently without ha- ever having seen Garrett Gilbert make a throw. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But I've been told by Bengals fans it's just the wind. It's it's a good thing he doesn't play in the AFC North. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So we have a bunch of other things to talk about. We're just going to go uh, tackle some of these games and figure out what we learned. So let's start with Cardinals-Bills. Once again, a game that we thought would be really good coming in. We highlighted this one last week, said it was going to be really interesting, and it ended up being. The Cardinals win 32-30. Kyler Murray, you know, this play is obviously on our site uh, for the win, ftw.usatoday.com. You can can watch a breakdown of this final Hail Mary. 
it's amazing because Kyler Murray has to escape and it's an escape probably only he could make. Even a guy like Lamar Jackson, you know, Kyler Murray is so compact that he's agile. I, and Russell Wilson might be able to do it, but he's he's so agile that he, he gets out of things, too, that that other quarterbacks who we think of as big and mobile and smart about getting away from tacklers uh, that they couldn't do. Like Cam Newton is not getting that speed. Right, right. Uh, Murray is just a freak. And then to wing the ball downfield with uh, his arm the way he did was uh, was quite a mixture. And then Hopkins just, you know, it's just a it's not a complicated play. I mean, he just went up and beat three dudes for the ball. It was just cool. You know, it's just one of those things in sports where you're like, eh, that, was, that was cool. That guy is better than those three guys. Uh, and he went up and got it. And everyone made fun of Bill O'Brien which was warranted because Bill O'Brien traded that guy for a running back. And now Bill O'Brien is, I, I was thinking like, where do you think Bill O'Brien watched that game? Like in a movie, in a movie, he would be at like some dusty bar, right? He would All just right. be like sitting there by himself. And then like some, one of the other uh, customers would have been like, can you believe that Texans coach traded him for a running back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian, just, his head just sinks and he orders another bourbon. <laughs> oh, man. He orders uh, another bourbon and offers to pay $50 for it because <laughs> he has no sense of value. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so so that, uh, that play actually came after Josh Allen had led the Bills to what many thought was going to be a game-winning touchdown with, I think, 34 seconds left. Uh, you know, so anyway, the Bills slipped to seven and three, still appear to have, we were looking at the schedule. I mean, it still seems like the Bills have the inside track in the AFC East, but things sure are tightening. And then the Cardinals are six and three playing in uh, a, a tough division, the the NFC West uh, I don't know. I mean, our, our, let's start there. I, I guess. Do you see the Cardinals as a legitimate playoff threat at this point? The the Rams have gotten good again. The Seahawks. The only problem is the Cardinals. The pro- the Cardinals schedule is really hard. We like we we've, we've been over this before, and uh, it really. I think it's going to come down to the Rams games. They have. They play them twice. I said the same thing about the Rams Seahawks last week, but I feel like the Rams win was convincing enough. I know it it only ended up being a seven point game, I think, but it was convincing enough that I would have to put the Rams firmly over the Seahawks. And we just have to see how they match up with the Cardinals. I'm pretty sure the the Rams got the better of the Cardinals in both games last year, and I think they blew them out in one of them. So I'm really interested to see how that matchup plays out. And I really, I don't know. I would have to think about it more to see how it would, to like come up with a take on how it would play out. But I will say that the Rams defense, and we've talked about Brandon Staley and how modern his, his defense is and how he was in the college game just a couple years ago. So maybe he's suited to defending this, this uh, offensive attack from Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and I mean, he's doing, they're doing some really impressive, interesting things. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. What about the Bills? Uh, d- did you see anything from Josh Allen? He turned the ball over twice. I mean, it felt, I didn't watch the entire game. I had it on red zone. I kind of went through and picked through some uh, some highlights afterwards. I mean, it felt like a very Josh Allen game. Uh, and I, I, I like this is just where we are with Josh Allen, right? Like he's he's mm-hmm. uh, he's very physically talented. He can run the ball. Uh, he can make he makes some throws, and then some throws he just misses horribly. Uh, he had a he had a good uh, completion percentage above expectation. I think he was maybe uh, third or fourth this week. Um, so it, this is just sort of who he is. Uh, did you see anything that would make you think he's? Uh, moving forward or is this just sort of no yeah i think this is just who he is he's a volatile player and like even in this game he threw two interceptions he probably could have thrown two more and maybe another one if you count the ball the pass where he was like getting sacked and he just threw it up near the line of scrimmage and it his running back somehow came down with it but I mean, maybe I'm hating on him. Maybe I'm just like clinging to my priors. But you, you watch him throw, and it just doesn't look right. Like he, he seems to just be flinging the ball downfield, and 
he has improved his accuracy where to the point where he's not missing the gimme throws anymore. Right. But I've been harping on this all season. Like his ball placement has not been good. And it really burned him on that last that last interception because like on a macro level, it was an accurate pass. It got to the receiver. It was a catchable ball, but it was behind the receiver and it was behind him enough where the cornerback who was trailing was able to step in front of it, or maybe it was a safety, was able to step in front of it and intercept it. And like, I don't, you just never know which Josh Allen you're going to get. And I think a lot of it comes down to how well the Bills coaching staff put together their game plan and how it uh, matches up with the defensive game plan. We saw that in Seattle where he was just throwing to open dudes all, all game. And there was a point in his career, early in his career, where he wasn't even able to do that consistently. Now he's at the point where he can. So if the Bills coaching staff wins the matchup, then he's going to look a lot better. If they don't and he has to throw into tight windows, that ball placement is going to burn him. And it did against the Cardinals. Uh, he had that last great drive, but there was a couple – like he overthrew Cole Beasley on a third and – I think it was third and four and Cole Beasley made like an Odell Beckham style catch on like a five yard quick out. Like the drive could have ended there. They probably would have went for it on fourth, but it was in danger of ending there. If he, if Cole Beasley doesn't make a superhuman effort to catch that ball. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Josh Allen, like the thing is, I don't think you're saying that Josh Allen is a useless player. I mean, no, he's very useful. Right. And he's not even a player that can't like Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl like the the Drew Locke version of Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl uh, <laughs> in in Denver. Like, uh, you know, you don't need to have a superstar quarterback, but but things sort of start there. Uh, that's the best place to start uh, a n- number. Of, you know, every statistical analysis shows that a quarterback is simply more important than any other player on the field has a bigger impact on a football game than any other player by far. Right. You know, I know we, we go back to this, uh, this anecdote a lot, but Aaron Donald, who is, you know, probably the most dominant football player of the last five, six years. I mean, just as far as being above his peers and being a guy who plays the position that most people wouldn't know. And everyone knows who he is. I mean, he's just a dominant football player. His value is like a mid tier quarterback. Not like, not even, right? Not yet. It's like bottom third. Right. Um, so, uh, starting with a great quarterback is the best place to start. And that's sort of how we look at the game. Now, there are obviously other ways to win football games and other things have to go right. But, but as soon as your quarterback cannot do things, you know, as soon as he has to cross things off the list, it, it just limits what a coach can do. It limits how your team can win. And it gives defensive coordinators ways to stop you and ways to scheme up against you. And that's the thing that we are looking ahead to the playoffs and looking at Josh Allen and saying, well, you know, like you said, if, if Brian Dable can win the matchup, then, uh, you know, may, maybe they're, the Bills are in good shape. But that's tough to do when you get when you're talking about the best teams left in the league and those guys having time to figure out what to do about Josh Allen. That's sort of how we're looking at things. And even and even Joe Flacco, like you brought up Joe Flacco, he went on like one of the greatest playoff runs in NFL history or maybe the greatest quarterback run in NFL history during the playoffs. So it's not like that Ravens team dragged him to a Super Bowl. They probably dragged him to the playoffs. But once he was there, he played well. And so Nick Foles was great for the Eagles. Right. right? I mean, and if my theory is correct on like when Josh Allen plays well, and when he looks more volatile, there's going to be fewer matchups that Brian Dayball is going to be able to win convincingly against good coaches because good coaches make the playoffs. Uh, the Kyler Murray hype is building. I think. Uh, I think that you know you you have been touting him for for a while now, but it feels like he is taking that next step at least publicly. You know, like his his profile, and that's what happens when you make a great play like the uh, like the Hail Mary. But that's not really indicative of of his play, right? Like you're watching down right. by down to see what he, what he's doing. It's a much better read. And and what are you seeing from him lately? I mean, is is you know you wrote recently about him and Cliff and and that duo and and you had some doubts early in the season that that Cliff really understood what to do with Kyler wasn't letting him throw they were really sort of run dependent especially on early downs uh, is that 
evolving in a way that you think is best for the Cardinals right now? Uh, do you see that getting to the point where those two are really feeding off each other and, and strengthening what they do well uh, for that team? Well, I think the problem wasn't so much that he wasn't letting him throw. It was that he wasn't letting him throw downfield. Mm. And, well, I guess it, it kind of falls in the same category because the reason he wasn't throwing downfield is he was throwing RPO passes. So you could basically throw that into the run bucket because it it's really a run call that's dictated by the defense, whether he passes or not. But I know based on the eye test, I don't have any stats to back this up. I, could, I guess I could look them up real quick. But it seems like Kyler is throwing the ball downfield more often. Uh, he Yeah, in week six, 10.3 yard air yards. Uh, yeah, so I think he started that was around the time when I first made that criticism, and it seems like he's letting them throw downfield. He's 8.6 the next week, so these are like top, like above average numbers. And early in the season, he was below average in terms of air yards, so it seems like Cliff has adapted, which is another great sign for Cliff. I I was really worried about Cliff early on in, in the year about how he would if he was capable of adapting. And then we saw it at a more micro level against the Dolphins last week, but we're, we've seen it over the last month from like a season point of view, and that's really encouraging. I'm still not a big fan of how he manages games, especially late. And we saw it again yesterday when he was not good in the four minute situation where the Cardinals could have iced that game away. Like the play calling just wasn't great. And once again, Kyler bails him out. And we talked about that last week. Kyler gives him such a big margin for error. And one of the big differences I've seen from Kyler this year, and I kind of, I think I predicted it in the off season was that he's realized how good of a runner is and what he can do and what he can get away with. It was the same transformation we saw from Lamar from year one to year two, where Lamar was still a great scrambler and a great runner in year one. But in year two, like he was just embarrassing defenders in a way that we didn't really see in year one. And now we're seeing that from Kyler. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing too, where like he just understands lanes and angles, angles, right. And and how to get around and, and not get, Pounded. I mean, he just doesn't take hits. Like, uh, he he just knows. I mean, he's just a really smart. Player. And early on in that game, the the whole game plan seemed to be built around the run, and he was obviously involved in the run game, like option plays, and he scored a couple touchdowns on him. So, I just think both of these facets of his game, the passing game and the run game are really blossoming at the same time. And that, that's why we're seeing him take off these last couple of weeks. And then you throw in Cliff's own evolution and improvement as a play caller. And this is what we're getting. Right. Uh, let's jump over to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the Carolina Panthers. Final score here is 46, 23. Um, you know, I mean, pretty much what, what was to be expected? The Panthers actually hung in a little bit in the first half, and then Bucks pulled away in the second half. And you came away from this game, uh, you know, a really interesting takeaway. But that you know, watching this and seeing how well Antonio Brown seems to be playing, you know, he's it doesn't look like he's lost anything at all. <laughs> no, really. um, he would have had a long touchdown, and Brady didn't miss him. But right, uh, so you know, he's back. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were both good, although Mike Evans fell three yards short of this of of, me, of meeting the Stephen Ruiz promise. <laughs> you would get you you said you called eighty yards in a touchdown. He did have a touchdown, but he ended up with only seventy seven yards. So uh, I'm blaming Brady. You're, you're slipping. You're slipping, man. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski had two catches for fifty one yards. Uh, you know, like he he. Like he feels extra, you know what I mean? Like he's the one of the one of the better tight ends of, of all time. It feels like a little extra piece that Brady can can jump to when he needs to, uh, and he's also got Cameron Brate who caught three passes. So and he would have OJ Howard if he didn't get hurt. And right. like Scotty Miller is pretty good. Tyler Johnson was like a, a draft Twitter darling, right? And has done got- some things. Like great, he's it's throwing to Leonard Fournette out of the backfield too, and then Ronald Jones went for two hundred yards almost. And his offensive line has been pretty good. Yeah. Like this is should be the greatest passing offense in the league, and it's like around right. league average in EPA. 
Right. That was your take. I, I don't even think I got to your take. I think I got I, I was I was too busy gushing over the personnel on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But your take is that this should be one of the better passing offenses ever, but it's being held back not only by Brady. I mean, we've talked so much about Brady's, uh, you know, where he is now and who he is and what he can do as a quarterback. Uh, so he's not only being held back by Brady, but you're pinning some of this on Bruce Arians, which is Super interesting because Arians is known for being aggressive and he's known for pushing the ball like that. That's just not something you would think is a problem with Arians. So could you take me into what exactly you see on film that is making you think that they're these two guys, Arians and Brady, are not getting as much as they could out of this offense? Yeah, I think it the it's not the play design, so it's not like Bruce Arians isn't calling plays downfield. We we wrote about this a, a month ago. Like it's the same exact offense, same play concepts, and we also wrote at that same time when I was praising Brady for adapting to this offense that he was still leaving a lot of plays on the field and he was going to his check down a little too quickly. And there was at least one example of it yesterday. It's hard to tell when you don't have the film, but right. you. Fox showed an angle from behind the quarterback and he's starting to look to his right and Chris Godwin is running a dig in the middle of the field's wide open just based on the coverage the the Panthers were playing and the cornerback is playing with outside leverage so that in-breaking route should be wide open and Brady for whatever reason doesn't let that route play out immediately looks to his left and checks it down to uh, Fournette who drops the ball. And like that's a play that doesn't show up as a negative play for Brady in the box score, but you look at the film and you're like, he left a 15 yard reception on the on the field that he didn't even attempt it. And Arians has kind of mentioned that Brady is still learning the offense and he's leaving a couple plays downfield. Like he's mentioned it when he was talking about Mike Evans last week, how Evans was getting open and Brady just didn't target him. I didn't really see that when I watched the Saints game. I don't agree with. Uh, Arian's assessment there, but I did see plenty of plays where Brady is just throwing the ball to options that are closer to the line of scrimmage when if he just waits a second or two and he has the time in the pocket, like something deep is opening up downfield. So I'm putting that on Brady and he has been missing throws like his completion percentage over expectation was plus six yesterday at one point. And if you watch the game and anyone who was watching the game and talking about it on Twitter was saying like Brady is missing a ton of throws. So you're telling me that these advanced metrics are all baloney, right? <laughs> no, of course but not. You're finally, you're finally admitting it. No, it's, it's just that when you have this offense, like your margin for error as a quarterback is just greatly reduced or i guess it's enlarged it, like he has like the he can like the chris godwin throw that everyone was praising him for right. <laughs> i maintain that that was just an awful throw and chris godwin adjusted and caught the pass like i have no there's no sensible explanation for brady throwing that pass the way that he did on purpose yeah. I, right. We joked at the moment that it's like it's like when Peyton Manning called out Brady. It was a guy. I think it was a throw to Gronk. It was some throw from a couple of years ago. And Manning was like, look, no, it's from this year. Oh, it's from this year. Yeah. Oh, OK. Uh, it's like, you know, he didn't mean to do this. Uh, and that's, yeah, he overthrew Gronk and it I, went to like I, Mike Evans. And honestly, it's one of those things where I mean, I feel like the the, the TV guys were like, oh, uh, that's an amazing adjustment by Chris Godwin to get to that ball. Like, I felt like in the moment, like everyone was like, oh, yeah, that was just a weird throw and Godwin got it. But then on Twitter, people, I think, came to it late or didn't, you know, they saw just the highlight on Twitter. And were like, oh, look at that throw by Brady. And I was like, well, wait, like, <laughs> it's pretty awful. It doesn't make any sense for him to throw that ball where he threw it. I mean, it looked it looked very interesting, but not because it was good. <laughs> interesting. It was just like, wait, why is that ball going where it's going? Um, and then you, 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 you look at, yeah, I have a cut up of Brady's misses in the game. And like, he left a lot of plays on the field and still threw for like 300 yards and three touchdowns and average right. eight yards per attempt. And like, even his touchdown to Mike Evans was a terrible throw. Mike Evans was running in the back of the end zone wide open and Brady threw behind him and high and, and let the cornerback back in the play. And Evans had to make a tremendous catch that was contested. And then there was another catch on third down that Antonio Brown made. That was a terrible throw that was behind him and got and let the corner get back in the play. It's just like, he's, I don't think he's playing. He's getting the most out of this offense right now. And then as for the coaching staff, like the play calling on early downs, it, it's just too run heavy. Right. They're not a good running team at all. 
the only like the only reason they had a positive EPA yesterday was because of that one 90 yard run by Ronald Jones. Every other run like lost EPA. And then I think Arians and then by extension Byron Leftwich are in this camp where you have to establish to run to, to be able to run play action, which is a big reason why they don't run play action a lot, which we know isn't the case. Right. So they're so intent on establishing the run to open up this facet of their passing game, and it's really hurting their passing game and putting them in third down situations. It didn't hurt them yesterday, but they went they had 16 third downs. It's not like they were moving the ball easily. They had to convert a lot of third downs, and they just happened to do it against – maybe the worst third down defense in the league. Uh, I guess my question for you is whether or not this is by design that Tampa Bay is sort of being conservative, both the coaching staff and Tom Brady. I mean, this is a defense. I don't think the new DVA, DVOA uh, rankings are out for this week, but but after week nine, Tampa was still – uh, I think just barely ahead of Pittsburgh in the defensive efficiency rankings uh, from Football Outsiders. You know, this is a pretty good defense, and and we talked about this heading into the season that the the switch from Brady, like you're losing a ton with Tom Brady that you had with Jameis Winston as far as throwing the ball downfield. Uh, Jameis Winston is really good at that. He was also really good at throwing the ball to the other <laughs> team. And we're going to get to talk about Jameis later. Uh, but, you know, it's, like that was part of the trade-off as we saw it going into the season is you're just going to have a guy in Tom Brady who is more careful with the football and who does not put your defense in bad situations. And now it feels like we're criticizing Brady for being careful with the football. Uh, so, I mean, is this just Tampa's overall plan to sort of have a conservative offense and hope that defense can win games? No, I don't think it I don't think that explains it because this was the same case last year and they had a quarterback that was bad and <laughs> and if you go back to Arizona, I think it was the same situation where they were running a lot on first down. Mm-hmm. So I can't I don't think that's it. All right. Well also I like yes Brady Tom Brady. Like okay. that's one of Brady's like gifts is not turning the ball over, but we criticize other quarterbacks for not being aggressive enough and not taking chances downfield. I don't think he should be immune, especially when the results don't really match what they have in terms of talent. Like if they were a top five EPA, I would, yes, I would be nitpicking, but they're not, they're a middle of the road offense right now. And they have no business being a middle of the road offense. You can't blame the talent or the skill players. So it's either, the play calling or it's Brady. And I think it's a combination of both. Uh, All right. I think that makes sense. Let's move on to Packers Jags. Cause I think we thought that the Packers were right there with uh, the bucks as far as top teams in the NFC. And there's still some models that show them pretty close because green Bay did win yesterday, but they won 24 to 20 over the Jake Lutons of Jacksonville. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, this defense is just bad, man. It's a, the Packers defense is really awful. Uh, I think Jake Luton uh, had, uh, I I'll find it real quick. Cause I, I know it was very bad. Um, it was, yes, his completion percentage above expectation was negative 15.4. Uh, and his completion percentage was 51%. And Jacksonville was just in this game uh, entirely. <laughs> like, uh, that's insane. Um, this was this is a huge red flag from the Packers. In fact, you called them frauds in the uh, take dump this morning. Uh, so are you ready to write them all the way off? I mean, this is still a team that could play some home playoff games in a incredibly harsh environment and go on a run. But where, what, what are you thinking at this point? Yeah, I agree with that, but I just don't see them winning enough games to get home field advantage. Like their schedule is not too hard, but you just almost lost a game to Jake Luton and you lost to Kirk cousins two weeks ago when he did not throw a pass more than 10 yards downfield. And that's my issue with the defense is like they don't even have the offenses don't even have to threaten you downfield and they could still move the ball against you. Like the the Jags offense wasn't great, but Jake Luton does not have any business starting NFL games. Like he did just doesn't look like an NFL player when you watch him and the stats back this up and the Packers like basically knew that he couldn't throw downfield and the Jaguars could still run the ball reasonably well. 
So what's going to happen when you play an, an actual offense where you have to defend the whole field? I just don't see it. And there's so much pressure on Aaron Rodgers where if he's not perfect, the offense doesn't really work the way it's supposed to. And it's not going to score enough points to help them outscore how the offenses they're playing in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, the Packers have the Colts next week, which, which uh, we didn't get to talk about the Colts-Titans game, the Thursday night game. The Colts uh, pretty thoroughly dominated that one. I mean, I think that they really answered. We sort of saw that game as as a referendum on the AFC South and, and which team was really going to pull away. Both, you know, the Titans, I think, got off to a better start and people were thinking that they were going to continue the run from last year. And the Colts, meanwhile, struggled a little bit. You can tell Philip Rivers was finding his way at some times, and they had some, some injuries. Uh, but now it certainly seems like the Colts are in control there. So I think that game will be really, really interesting. And then the Packers have the Bears twice the rest of the way. They have the Eagles, who are terrible, the Lions, Panthers, and the Titans. Uh, so I don't know. That feels like a f- somewhat favorable schedule for the Packers. Yeah, but you almost lost to – the Jaguars (laughs) who are (laughs) right. And who like Mike Glennon isn't playing because I think the Jaguars are actively trying to lose. There's no other excuse for him not playing. Yeah. It's smart. And the Packers still almost lost to them at home. And they got like an A plus game from Aaron Rodgers outside of one interception. (laughs) So I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't trust them to, beat all the teams they're supposed to beat on their schedule. I think they're going to drop a game or two that they shouldn't. And that's going to be enough for the saints to really pull away. Your anger over Jake Luton just made me uh, <laughs> uh, choke on my water. The funniest thing, you got to go back and watch the fourth and 26 play at the end of the game or that just that whole drive. Like Jake Luton is just uh, stumbling all over the place, trying to avoid the rush at one point. The commentators like, and Luton gets away as he's falling to the ground, <laughs> stumbling. And then on fourth and twenty six, he like does a good job to elude the rush, although he's stumbling again like the whole time. He somehow gets out of the rush. It's fourth and twenty six, and he throws a check down to the at the line of scrimmage, <laughs> and the guy like gets tackled immediately. Game over. Uh, yeah, not great. The counter. Uh, speaking of not great, the Baltimore Ravens lost again last night. I know uh, there is a lot of panic here in Baltimore uh, over a team that, that, despite being, I guess, what they're now six and three, um, it just I, it, I we've we've sort of tracked it and said, okay, they're coming back. They're not coming back. Coming back. They're not coming back. Uh, this is the offense specifically. The defense has been okay most of the year um but could not against the patriots could not find a way and you are sort of writing this one off a little bit because the weather was so awful you know everyone was making the jokes that uh bill belichick somehow controlled the weather uh and it was just pouring down rain it was uh just awful the patriots ended up winning 23 17 uh, as the Ravens just could not mount a comeback in the second half when when that rain was just atrocious. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I thought Lamar Jackson looked pretty good at times, mm-hmm. and he was pretty good throwing the ball. Uh, there were a couple drops. Uh, like, I'm not super worried about the Ravens yet, but I'm wondering if you you. I think you had the Ravens a tick above the Steelers and we'll get to the Steelers. Um, but you know, the Steelers keep rolling. So I'm wondering where you seeing that matchup after week 10. Uh, I'm still in the same spot. That game last night did not convince me to change it. It's just, I mean, like you said, Lamar played well and I think he played really well. If you consider what was going on with the weather and I think he only had that one bad throw that was intercepted. And, and I don't even think that was too bad of a play. Mm-hmm. Like it was basically an arm punt. So I'm really not concerned. The concern was their, their passing game was so bad. And Lamar has been better for the last game and a half now. He was, he looked good against the Colts in the second half. So I want to see them play a good team in 
just regular weather and see how they look before I write them off as an offense. But I think they're fine. Their defense had some issues early on. They were missing Calais Campbell and that obviously hurts against the run. But in the second half, they really figured it out. Yeah. Brandon Williams got hurt pretty early too. So, I mean, they just, they're basically missing the entire interior defensive line. And they adjusted in the second half and uh, it probably helped that it was pouring down rain and the Patriots couldn't throw and they don't have any receivers anyway, but they did yeah. make the adjustment. So I'm not worried about the defense, which has been good all year, and I think it's going to continue to be good as long as it stays right. healthy. Yeah, I have to tell you, my main takeaway from this game is is how little receiving talent was on the field. It was just shocking. I mean, Willie Sneed and Jacoby Myers led their teams in receptions. Uh, the Ravens just cannot figure out how to use Marquise Brown this year. I don't know, uh, like uh, – Lamar was clearly trying to force the ball to him. You know, Brown was was critical of the Ravens for not getting him the ball, and, and Lamar was trying to force it. I think he had six targets overall, and a bunch of them were in the first half. Brown only came away with two catches for 14 yards. I, but, I mean, neither of these teams has – like, you know, we just got done talking about Tom Brady throwing to these, like, a bunch of – Hall of Famers, <laughs> like literally in the same offense. Um, and like if you did a ranking of the Ravens, Bucks, and Patriots receivers, the Bucks might have like the top five guys in it. Right. Like Scotty Miller would be better than, than anybody on either of these teams. Scotty Miller walks right into the Patriots starting lineup. It doesn't does not hurt the fact that he's a, a white slot receiver. <laughs> <laughs> he walks right into the heart of Boston. Yeah, right. That's what he does. Um, yeah. How do you feel about the New, New England Patriots? I mean, they're sitting at four and five. They clearly are not tanking. Uh, did did this offense again? I know that you're like you kind of have to throw it away, but this offense was a lot more dynamic. There was a lot more going on. There was a lot more creativity. They were giving the ball to other dudes to throw. Uh, I mean, is this what you were hoping to see from Josh McDaniels now that he, you know, without Tom Brady, we've, we've dug in on that, right? Tom Brady did Tom Brady things for year after year after year after year. Uh, it was going to have to change with Cam Newton. And, and I think you felt like it wasn't changing f- fast enough, that it wasn't, it wasn't using that newfound flexibility. Was this it or was this just sort of a gimmicky game where they found a way to, to get it done? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I do think McDaniels is adjusting. I also think it helps that the Patriots have found a a decent, reliable receiver in Jacoby Myers, who wasn't playing for the first seven weeks. I think he was hurt in training camp, and that probably derailed his season a little bit. But he's like a legit player. The problem is he's like a legit number two receiver, and they still don't have a number one. And Demir Bird is a, a useful player as a deep threat. It's just if they could get something at a uh, – Nikhil Harry or one of the tight ends, then I think this offense would be a lot better off. But yeah, the problems that I've had with the offense were still there yesterday. Although I think that was influenced by the weather and that's them just throwing the, or running the ball so much on early downs. And this isn't like a nerd thing where I'm just like throwing out these proclamations based on numbers. And like, this is the right thing to do, but I don't have, but there's like no nuance to it. Like the reason why I think they should be throwing earlier or on early downs is because their limitations at receiver, like on early downs, you get those more basic coverages, usually zone coverages, in fact. And when you have a talent deficiency at receiver, you don't want to only be throwing in situations where one, the defense is going to be probably blitzing and then two playing man coverage, which your receivers can't separate from. I just think it's an easier environment to throw on on first and second down than it is on third down, and the stats bear that out. That's why I'm advocating for for more early down passes. Uh, let's let's go over to the NFC East. What do you think? NFC East. <laughs> All right. Are the why Giants going to win this division? Why did I put this so high in the show? Why is this here? Because you're why? from Philadelphia, and this is this is what Philadelphia people do. Nah, I mean. It, I would have I would have brought it much higher if I was really if I was really tapping into the Philly. Uh, I actually I I know why I brought this in because you have an interesting take on it and it's interesting in multiple ways. You you wrote today in the take dump that you think Daniel Jones right now is I don't I, I, there's nuance here. I don't is a better player than Carson Wentz. He's certainly yes. certainly if you were building a team you would want him because he's on a rookie contract, right? So like right. that's always better than. 
paying Carson Wentz a bajillion dollars. Uh, but you also watched the film. You watched this game for some reason. I, I was literally worried about you when you were like, hey, I'm watching Eagles Giants uh, like eight o'clock last night. Like, what are you doing? Uh, but you watched it and you thought Wentz wasn't actually that bad. So I want to try to pull this apart and understand what you're thinking about these two guys right now, because both of them. I, you know, I, I don't. I, I think the Eagles are going to get rid of the coaching staff before they get rid of Carson Wentz, right? It's, it's they it's almost have to, right? It's contract. extremely hard to get out of a contract like the one Carson Wentz has. But the Giants, meanwhile, I, you know, they they looked like they were going to be in position to maybe draft one of the one of the top guys, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Now you're thinking they might win this division. Uh, so what what is the future at quarterback for these two respective teams after watching this game? Oh, this this take has nothing to do with their team's futures or their, their quarterback's futures. They're both bad quarterbacks. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is good. I'm just saying Carson Wentz is right now. Like the question I posed in the takedown was what does Carson Wentz do right now better than Daniel Jones? And there's nothing you can point to because the big criticism with Daniel Jones and what I ultimately think is going to tank his career is the fact that he can't stop turning the ball over. Like this was his first game without a turnover against a team that's not Washington in his career. Wow. So he's like on the Jameis level, and I've learned my lesson from Jameis. Like these <laughs> turnovers, <laughs> probably been? not. Like not in regards to Jameis, but to other quarters. Like I've grandfathered Jameis in, <laughs> but everyone else behind Jameis that is turnover prone, I'm I'm not buying into it. And yeah, he and he has like a lot fewer turnover worthy plays than. Carson Wentz, I posted a stat from PFF. Carson Wentz leads the league with 23 turnover-worthy plays. And second place has 13. Like, he's playing a different sport. He's like the Babe Ruth of turning the ball over. <laughs> I was going to say, he's not playing a different sport. He's just being aggressively bad at this one, man. <laughs> so, and like, what else does Carson Wentz do well? Like, he's a playmaker, but we saw Daniel Jones making plays with his legs. Like, the Giants built their entire run game around Daniel Jones yesterday. And like when I'm watching that game, I'm thinking, this is what the Eagles need to do. I know they're afraid of Wentz getting hurt, but I mean, at this point, screw it. Who cares if he gets hurt? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't uh, – there's – you know, like I think I mentioned this the last show that the Athletic did a deep dive on what's wrong with Carson Wentz. And like uh, there's no clear answer. Like, you know, he's he looks like the same guy. It doesn't look like he like lost a step or anything. It just looks mentally like he is not as sharp and he's not able to make whatever reads he was making previously uh, to, to process the plays correctly. I mean, he just looks entirely lost. And, and I mean, <clears throat> that is bound to happen when your wide receivers are, again, there's another team with no wide receiving talent uh, whatsoever. And then, you know, I've been dealing with injuries to the tight ends. The offensive line is a total mess. Uh, so that's all sort of exacerbating Wentz's problems, but he is doubling down on them with his play. Also, if 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 2017 never happens, is Wentz even an eagle right now? Uh, I Well, but I mean, something has to happen in 2017, right? Like that... Right, but if it's like an average of all his other years, is he an, an eagle right now? And like the thing about 2017, it like it was very clearly unsustainable because he had so much success in the red zone and on right. third down. Like between the 20s, and I wrote about this at the time when people were saying he should have he should win MVP over Tom Brady. Like between the 20s, he was like a slightly above average quarterback. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the red zone when he really like put up those numbers, and the Eagles' run game was really what was. Uh, spurring the offense along in between the 20s and I don't think the Eagles offense was very complex that year so it wasn't going to be hard for defenses to catch on eventually so it's not like I don't even think that it's he's a different quarterback from 2017 I think it's just hard to replicate what happened that year and it was that should have we should have seen this coming to a certain extent I, I know injuries have certainly played a part and 
there's like just something mentally wrong with him. Like not like when he's reading the defense and stuff, like you alluded to with the athletic article. But I just don't think it's realistic to expect him to ever turn the clock back to 2017. It's just not happening. He's that player is never coming back. And it was probably a mirage. Yeah. So I, I think he were we, uh, a guy. I, I, my memory is just totally shot, uh, but I feel like we were pretty critical of the trade the Eagles made to get Carson Wentz, because as much as we love good quarterback play and think that's important, giving up draft capital is, uh, is the worst thing you can do as an NFL GM, right? To give up a ton of draft capital because you just need more shots. You need more lottery tickets. Uh, and there's just no proof that uh, quarterbacks taken higher are automatically going to hit. I mean, it's just not that it, it, like you have a better chance, obviously, but it's just not uh, a sure thing as we're seeing with Justin Herbert being yeah, the best a bunch. And no one wants to admit it yet, but we're seeing that play out this year. Right. Uh, how? I mean, was that a bad trade in hindsight? The Eagles, like no one in Philadelphia would ever say that, even though Wentz went out and Foles won the Super Bowl. Like there's still this feeling that like, OK, if they don't make that trade, they don't win the Super Bowl. Uh, but I'm wondering, how do you evaluate that trade now in, with, with the, the, the value of hindsight? You know, look back. I think at the time I was probably misguided in my take on it. Like don't trade up for quarterbacks. But I think if you're going to trade up, that's what you trade up to get is a quarterback. The problem is that quarterback class, like even going into it, wasn't highly thought of. Like no one was really excited for Jared Goff. (laughs) And like it's proven us right. And in hindsight, like it wasn't a very good draft quarterback class. Goff has been fine, I guess. I, I mean, considering how valuable the quarterback position is, he probably has justified the number one pick, and you could probably say the same about Wentz, even with his struggles being the number two pick. But when you add on the fact that they not only used the number two pick on him, but they traded up to get the number two pick, I think it's a negative value play in hindsight. Right. Oh, boy. So the Eagles could be in purgatory, QB purgatory for a while, right? Is that, is that what I'm hearing from you? I mean, I'm sure there's some creative ways where they can get rid of his contract if they give up a draft pick and they eat the dead money and just blow everything up and just count next year as a lost year, which is probably the smartest thing to do when you're looking at it. Just start over. If you're going to bring in a new coaching staff, having a lame, lame duck quarterback, I don't know if that's going to really work. And like when you envision an offense that suits Carson Wentz, what does that even look like? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it looks like the, the Eagles offense, which from the outside looking in doesn't look great. Like right. quick throws. Cause you have, if you let Carson Wentz, it, like if you're by design, you have him hang in the pocket for a longer period of time. It's going to be a disaster. Right. And it has been. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Eagles, I think thought that they needed to give him more deep shots. I mean, they obviously drafted Jalen Rieger and, uh, he's he's been in dealing with injuries, but it just hasn't it hasn't taken the top off the defense to open things up for Wentz the way that it was I think plotted out. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I know that you're saying it's the right thing to do, but it's just yeah. teams do not reboot that way. Right. It's not the way that NFL teams operate. Uh, despite it being against their own best interests, they sort of stick with players uh, like Carson Wentz and it's such a weird situation because it still seems like the Eagles will I mean they're going to be in the playoff like this the Giants and Eagles I don't know I really don't know I think the Giants might make the playoffs I mean but I mean they're going to be in a chase you know like so but it sort of seems like Doug Peterson's time is probably uh, coming to a close unless unless he fixes something very quickly. Uh, let's talk the Saints 49ers. And, uh, you know, the most interesting thing out of this, the Saints end up winning this one 27-13. Uh, you know, the bigger, the bigger thing is probably that Drew Brees left this game with injury. Uh, um, I'm updating Twitter to see if there's any up, uh, any new news. He, I guess he had some rib injury. Uh, it might have been multiple ribs is what I'm seeing and couldn't play. And Jameis Winston stepped in. Now the, the Saints lost Drew Brees for 
part five full games last year, I think, and maybe part of another. Uh, Teddy Bridge- Bridgewater stepped in and uh, did a pretty good facsimile of Drew Brees, and they they won all those games. Bridgewater looked good. Bridgewater went and got a, a nice contract out of it. Uh, now, Jameis Winston is presumably the guy. They they played Taysom Hill quite a bit yesterday, uh, and I think Hill is like listed as second on the depth chart. But it's Jameis Winston's job, clearly, if, if Breeze can't go for any extended period of time. And we here at the counter love Jameis Winston, uh, not the person. <laughs> the quarterback is uh, is an interesting player. Uh, so what did you see? I know you took a quick look at his throws from yesterday and we're sort of wondering what it means to put him into the Drew Brees because he's nothing like Drew Brees, right? He's a very different quarterback from Drew Brees. He doesn't he has almost opposite strengths and, and weaknesses. Uh, whereas Teddy Bridgewater ultimately is kind of like Drew Brees. So what, what happens next for the Saints here? Yeah, I watched Jameis's throws from Sunday and he just looked like an uncomfortable quarterback. And maybe part of that is just that he probably hasn't been taking practice reps. And then he's operating a game plan that was meant for Drew Brees. And we saw this last year. And I think it was week two when Brees got hurt. And Bridgewater came in the second half and just looked lost and was terrible. And then the next five weeks, he like slowly got better as the offense was adjusted for him. And by the end of it, he had pretty good numbers and the Saints were 5-0. and I think we're going to see a similar situation. I have trust in Sean Payton putting out an offense that suits Jameis Winston. And he's a player that like it's not hard to build a good offense around him, a good passing game at least. And the Saints have some weapons. So I really don't think it's going to be a problem. I wouldn't be surprised if at one point, let's say Drew Brees misses a month. I wouldn't be surprised if by like week three of this, people are openly wondering, is this offense better with Jameis Winston? And does it have a higher ceiling? Because we, this- we, are, we are people. That's who you're talking about. Right? <laughs> right. No, I'm doing that right now, though. I'm already I was doing that in like week one or whenever they signed Jameis. Yeah, right. this season you were doing it. So, yeah, I'm talking about normal, well-adjusted people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I mean, we've, we've I, like, we said this, right? Like, I sure hope Drew Brees isn't hurt because he's been, he's gotten better as the season's gone on. And like, yes, without a doubt. It looked, it looked like there's, you know, it just seems like the Saints could be on, uh, they, they were your pick, right? The Saints Chiefs was your most, in your updated uh, playoff and Super Bowl predictions, you had the Chief, the Saints going. And, you know, that would just be – that would be a really nice storyline. Again, Drew Brees, the person, eh. But uh, the player, like, it's it's nice to see dudes who've had a lot of success get right. to go and play on the biggest stage, right? Like, that's, that's the fun and, of sports. And you know what? And two of their next three games are against the Falcons. <laughs> so, oh boy. James right. could might really put up some numbers. And I'm about to put my tinfoil cap on. I'm thinking maybe oh, no. Sean Payton was like – Drew, why don't you take this month off and we're going to let Jameis play against the Falcons and Drew Locke and maybe uh, inflate his draft or trade value. Although I guess he's only signed to a one-year deal, so maybe. Yeah. But maybe they can do a sign and trade. Some team will trade for him if he puts up (laughs) crazy numbers over the next couple weeks. Oh, man. It's going to happen. He's playing the Falcons twice in the next three weeks. Jameis is going to put up numbers. And we're going to be asking those questions. Like I said, we're going to be saying, is the ceiling higher on for this offense with Jameis Winston back there? Book it. I'm, right. I'm calling it right now. December 6th. We're going to be talking about that. Oh, man. Your last prediction went well. So I'm, I'm excited for this one. Uh, keep the tinfoil hat on just for the rest of the show. We'll just get crazy. I only have one more game I want to get to, and that's Dolphins Chargers. Uh, as I said, the Dolphins end up winning this 29-21, and that's five games in a row for the Dolphins. You gave me a stat earlier about since week three, the Dolphins lead the league in EPA. Second. I mean, They'd be second, second in the league based on EPA for defense and offense. Right. Uh, so, I mean, this is this is a team that is has, uh, you know, its underlying numbers are really strong. This is a team that you should feel really good about if you are a Miami Dolphins fan. The question is whether they can get into the playoffs, I guess, at this point. Um, what did you say? This is obviously a, a rookie quarterback game, Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, what did you make of these two and what you saw? I thought Herbert was pretty good considering what he was up against mm-hmm. in that Flores defense, which has given a lot of quarterbacks problems this year. It gave 
jerked off all sorts of issues two weeks ago. So I was encouraged by Herbert, even if he lost and even he threw a, a bad interception. But I also think that was just a great play by the Dolphins cornerback. But yeah, two is just he really reminds me of rookie season Russell Wilson at this point. They're, they're not similar players in how they operate, but just how he's adding positive plays to the offense is very similar to what we saw out of Russell Wilson back in 2012. And just going back over the Dolphins' schedule, their two losses, they lost by three points to the Bills when the Bills' offense was just super hot. And they lost uh, a 10-point game to the Patriots in week one in which Ryan Fitzpatrick threw three interceptions. The defense really played decently, and the offense moved the ball. It's just the turnovers killed them. And really, I I was going to put this in the take dump, but decided against it just because I didn't have really a lot of numbers to back it up. But I think this is the best coach team in the NFL right now. Like when you talk about scheme on both sides of the ball, offense, defense, like Chan Gailey has been great. He continues to be great. He was great yesterday. He was some of his play calls were just providing his offense, his skill players with so much space. And then the defense continues to be excellent and it's coached well. And the scheme is interesting and it really puts pressure on the quarterback, which is what you have to do in today's NFL. I gotta, I gotta say, it's not often here on the counter that a guy like Chan Gailey gets kudos, like an, like an old, you know, a coach that's been around forever, sort of been recycled, rewashed a little bit. Like that's 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 rare to see that. I'm pretty sure I made fun of Chan Gailey like in the preseason when I was writing about the Dolphins, but I'm wrong. I took, I'm taking the L. Like Chan Gailey has been really good. He's been a top five offense coordinator. Wow. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think there's any question that Brian, Brian Flores is one of the best. I mean, has done one of the best coaching jobs this year. I don't know. Uh, you know, like you said, Mike Tomlin is going to get a lot of uh, coach of the year votes when we were talking earlier because they're off to an unbelievable start. But uh, if you really want to look at like the job being done and, and raising, <laughs> raising a team's overall uh, performance, I, I think Flores has got to be in that discussion. Uh, I know that we, you and I are circling the Bills uh, Dolphins game the final weekend of the season could be feels like it could be a really consequential one. I haven't looked at the full week 17 slate yet, but um, it, it feels dicey to do that in the time of COVID, you know, like it's like just one week at a time. Let's uh, let's get through. But that game sure feels like it could be fun and meaningful. Yeah. And I, I would not be surprised if the Patriots are somehow in the race by that time, depending on who wins that Dolphins bills game. We're never surprised by the Patriots here at the counter. Uh, one last thing I wanted to get over before we preview the Vikings Bears game, and that is the Steelers. Uh, you know, easy time with the Bengals. Don't need to talk too much about that. But uh, I think that you saw some things you liked out of Ben Roethlisberger. We have we have not been afraid to criticize Ben Roethlisberger uh, for dinking and dunking his way through the season. Coming off his elbow surgery, it just does not look like he is a guy who can really super comfortable throwing the ball. He has at times thrown downfield. Uh, once again, he was not great this week. I think you said he was one for nine uh, on throws over 20 yards. Uh, but there is something you saw that you liked. Yeah, he he was zipping the ball pretty good on the intermediate throws, like 10 to 20. He was really good. And there was legit zip on these passes. So maybe he's not going to find his deep ball ever, but if he can continue to be that good into tight windows downfield or within that intermediate range, then I think it raises the ceiling a little bit on the offense. I'm still very concerned that it's very compact and there was still a lot of plays where he's just dinking and dunking. Right. And it just works against a Bengals team. Like we predicted this in the preview show on Thursday that this Bengals team just can't tackle. And it was going to be a problem against the Steelers offense that relies on yak so much. So I'm not really taking too much from this game. I want to see Ben Roethlisberger do it against a team that's going to man up and force him to throw into tight windows consistently and not just right. every couple of plays. But this was the type of performance we wanted to see out of the Steelers. Like if they would have played another close game against an inferior uh, inferior opponent, I would have really started to sound the alarm. But this was an encouraging performance for Pittsburgh. Right. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, like we were talking about uh, Josh Allen earlier, like, you know, quarterbacks are going to have deficiencies. Like we're not looking for quarterbacks to be perfect. And like kudos to Ben Roethlisberger for just 
chucking the ball really quickly. Like he has adapted to the idea uh, that he is just going to drop back and throw the slant. I mean, he is his average time to throw is 2.31. Uh, the next closest regular starter is, I think, Philip Rivers at two point four nine. I mean, he is just dropping back and throwing the ball. Like, yeah, he's uh, playing the point I mean, guard role, right? And he's like, that's like, if that's what his team needs to do to win, like, kudos to him. Good for him to figure that out because that's not like there were years that Ben Roethlisberger looked like Carson Wentz, where he would just hold the ball, hold the ball, thought he could dodge every tackle, break every tackle. Um, you know, so making that adjustment. Good for him. Great. There was there was one play where he like broke the pocket and he kind of had an angle to the end zone. He had some open field and he, you could see him starting to like <laughs> rev up the engine and start to run. And then he was like, nah. <laughs> yeah, I'm about the same age as Ben Roethlisberger. That happens to me all the time. Or, but it's like it's like like when I'm vacuuming, like, oh, I might I might vacuum this whole room. Nope, I need a break. Go sit on the sofa. I'm not 32 anymore. What is this? Um, Tonight, the uh, the Monday night game, uh, as I said, Vikings Bears, and you have put the Vikings in the playoffs. You you project the Vikings to emerge out of this morass that is the NFC North and uh, get there. But but you've declared they need to win this game. So uh, tell me what they actually need to do to win this game. What what schematically are you looking at in this one? Well, they better be able to run the ball. Well, yeah, they because <laughs> if they can't run the ball, then I don't know how they win the game. Well, yes, I do. That's not a, that's a lie. Nick Foles <laughs> is on the other, other sideline. I do know how they win the game, but you know what I mean. They need to be able to run the ball to have success on offense. And I will say, like the, the weekend's games were kind of a good sign for Vikings fans because I feel like I got a good read on these playoff races. I called the the Colts thing. I called the Rams thing. I'm just I'm almost three for three if the Vikings win tonight. And really, it just comes down to Kirk Cousins not making mistakes. Yeah. Which, I mean, Kirk Cousins on Monday night and against the Bears defense, which has just given him hell over the last couple of years. Like, it has all the makings of a Kirk Cousins disaster. <laughs> but if he can avoid disaster, I think the Vikings win this game. That's the thing with Kirk Cousins, though. Sometimes it has the makings of a disaster, and then he puts up insane numbers. Uh, so... I don't know. I guess we'll see. But yeah, you heard that the state of Minnesota, right? Like Stephen called it. You guys can relax. <laughs> fine. I'm never wrong. Yeah, never, never, never wrong. Uh, we'll be back later this week, probably Thursday evening, with another edition of the Counter. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to be blogging the NFL. Stephen will uh, have probably a deep dive on one or two things from the week, maybe some cut-ups. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we get into this week. You can follow him at the Steven Ruiz on Twitter. I'm at Chris Corman. Definitely visit our site for the win. Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on over there right now. I'm taking a look. We have some good posts from yesterday. There's this funny Bill Belichick meme. If you haven't seen it, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be things throughout the day. Henry McKenna has his waiver wire. If you are still battling in your fantasy football league and need to pick somebody up, he's got some suggestions for you there. Charles Curtis dropped his tank for Trevor rankings. Uh, Jets still lead for that one. <laughs> but uh, the, the race for Justin Fields is interesting. Um, so check all that out. And Stephen, how would you like to end the show? What's our closing note here? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that Drew locked through four interceptions. <laughs> he threw four of them things. So I think we could officially end the Drew Lock exper- experiment. Like the Denver's obviously going to let him play out the season, but R.I.P. Drew Lock. We enjoyed you rapping to songs. <laughs> I, I can't believe the uh, guy who. Uh, chastised you for saying some time ago that Drew Locke was... I, I mean, we were like incredibly careful when we wrote the Drew Locke takedown, I think. Like, well, the headline was literally something like, uh, hey guys, Drew Locke is looking really good, but Denver, we just like, just be careful. He's probably going to break your heart. Like, it was just like, like it was the most dad I've ever felt while we were writing a headline. Like, you know, like, this is like, uh, yeah, he looks like a pretty good quarterback. I know he's cool, but like, just be careful. And Denver people hated you for it. And one of them, I can't remember what he tweeted at you, but now he is out there tweeting like Ben Strew Lock. Uh, ben, I, so all we can do is close it by saying we told you so. Uh, so 
you know, like just listen to Steven. He's never wrong. That's the lesson from this week. Except for on quarterbacks before they enter the NFL. Then I'm very wrong <laughs> all the time. I will say that. So so are people who draft quarterbacks. But I have a, a really good track record on pro on NFL quarterbacks, I feel like. Like I the only ones that I've gotten wrong are Jameis Winston, which <laughs> I'm not ready to t- give up on Jameis yet. And then Josh Allen, I guess I was wrong, but like he's proven to be the quarterback that I thought he could max out as. Like there's still I mean, I'm not taking the L there either, but it's looking bad for me. But everyone else, like Blake Bortles, Kirk Cousins, uh Derek Carr, the list goes on. It's a long list. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. All those guys, you can eat the W, right? All right. Jameis Winston had to eat an L, but Oh, man. All right. Thanks for joining us here at The Counter. We'll talk to you next time. Until then, take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 